Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, welcome back here on a Friday. Time for Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk, who joins us every Friday for about 25 years now. No. Not that long, but a long time. Mike, good morning. How you doing? Hey, Joe, it's closer to 25 than 5. Yes, it Much is. Much closer to 25 than 5. <laughs> hey, yeah, it's so funny. They go, well, how far back? Uh, it's funny. Your name will pop up, and people ask me. And, and also, I still remember Nick Saban was the head coach because Kirby Smart was an assistant and was one of the guys that told me about you and some of the guys on that coaching staff. And I was like, wow. Uh, Kirby and uh, all the college coaches that left the NFL and are having great success right now. So uh, I got to ask you, there's there's a lot to talk about. And um, dumb, I want to tell you what Dumbass here did. So the last four and a half minutes, I go, this is what teams do, man. You don't play a great game and you still find a way to win. And about five seconds after that, the Titans went on two long drives and went down and won the game. Um it was a crushing loss. I don't know where you rank them, and I, I don't like to say it's going to ruin the season or anything, but, boy, that was uh, that was a tough one for about three or four days, Mike. Well, it definitely changes the vibe, Joe, and I've been watching Hard Knocks, which is excellent because of Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins, and there's always more insight that I'd like to get than what they're ever going to give us. But one thing that was clear, he was keenly aware entering the month that – Last year, they were 8-3, and three and they lost five in a row. So when they got to 9-3, and three, it was euphoria time. Well, next came the Titans, and I think they just got caught maybe a little complacent, a little, you know, napping a little bit, even before it was 27-13. I mean, it was 13-13, and it's like, boy, the Titans have really given this team everything they can handle. And I respect late season, a team that's basically out of it, really going all out to get a win that yeah. means nothing in the grand scheme of things because they're not going to pull their way back into playoff contention. The Titans and the Giants that same night at that same time both played very spirited games and upset playoff contenders. So as that drive that made it 27-21 with the two-point conversion, as that was happening, that was when I really detected kind of a let's just hold on complacency and it came back to bite them in the butt. And there was an opportunity to intercept Will Levis early in that drive that would have ended the game. It just shows you how one play here, one play there can change everything. But it hurts because now, Joe, who would have thought with four games left, if the Bills pick up one game over the next three, 
Week 18, Bills at Dolphins is yep. for the conference mm-hmm. champ, or they're not conference, but division championship because the Bills won back in week four in Buffalo when the Dolphins went up there. It's amazing to think that the margin for error is suddenly that thin for these Dolphins. Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, you, you're right about that. It's been talked about by everybody, especially everybody saw Buffalo play a, a, another spirited game, and this time we're able to win a close game. Like, I thought they totally outplayed Philly before that and should have won that game, and they didn't. But, uh, yeah, they're playing, and we'll see what happens. They got Dallas at home this week. But I, I wanted to ask you the other thing I noticed for the first time because we haven't gone through it, Tyree Keel out of the lineup, and I know how good a season he, he's having. I mean, everybody has seen it up close. But I didn't realize how much this team was going to miss him and what they look like for about a half a game without him playing. Ouch. Uh, that's got to be a concern, and I'm hoping he can play this week, Mike, because without that guy, boy, uh, I've never seen a piece that's been missed so much outside of a quarterback. Hasn't practiced so far this week, and I think he really tried to will himself to play when he shouldn't have on Monday, and that's the challenge that he and the coaching staff are going to have, finding the right sweet spot to manage him and to get him to set aside this quest for 2,000 receiving yards, which if he doesn't play this weekend, it's going to be a lot harder for him to get it. He's still on pace for it. But if you start missing games, you got a problem. But from the team's perspective, don't you want him to be as healthy as he can be when the postseason arrives? they still got to nail down their ticket to the playoff party. They still need to win the division. But if you're going to miss any game of the next four, because the final three are not easy, if you're going to miss any of them, this is the one to miss and heal up. So they have a real challenge here. He hasn't practiced yet this week. And he demonstrates his value through his absence. There's been this debate, who's the MVP candidate from the Dolphins, if the team is good enough to produce an MVP finalist. I've believed all year, Chris Sims has believed it, others have believed it's Tyreek Hill. And I think we saw that on Monday night. When the Dolphins got the ball back up six, and it was three and out, that doesn't look good on Tua's resume. And then, and then the same night that Tommy DeVito took – the ball with less than two minutes and got the Giants in position for a game-winning field goal, Tua had the opportunity to do it and didn't do it. Those things hurt in the MVP consideration. That was his opportunity to show it's me, not anybody else. And if Tyreek Hill comes back this weekend, gets at or close to 2,000 yards, the Dolphins win the division, they're one of the top two or three seeds, Tyreek Hill, I think, is is far more viable as an MVP than Tua. And, and – Clearly, he's the most important player on the team. You take a weapon like that out of the mix, and it's a lot harder to run your offense. Mm. I um, So so there's a, a bunch of other news out there as well, this uh, Kadarius Toney offsides call. I thought it was interesting. Everybody had a, an opinion on it. No, you know, it's close enough. You didn't have to call, and others are going, this guy's frigging, look at this this picture. He's way off. And how come you didn't ask the official if you were lined up like most guys do? Roger Goodell, really, uh, does he do that a lot where he kind of, hey, hey, no, our guy's got it right on that one, okay? Can we hear everybody say we got it right? He really made it a point to kind of back the officials on that one. Well, and it just happened to work out that Roger Goodell was doing a press conference. He would have been doing this week anyway because he does one to end the quarterly league meetings. I remember when he was under siege nine years ago over the Ray Rice thing, and he said he's available to the media almost every day. We know that's not true. We get him maybe five or six times a year. He's very good at stick handling his way through questions and not saying anything and deflecting criticism. But on this, he has a point. 
there's an irony to the fact that he has to defend the officials when they were right. Now, I will say this, and Dan Orlovsky of ESPN did a nice job of harvesting the plays. Kadarius Tony had been lined up offside or damn close to it multiple times throughout that game. Why don't you throw a flag before the two-minute drive that determines the game? And it's the kind of thing that invites suspicion. And that's the problem the NFL now has with legalized gambling. And this was the concern that Roger Goodell articulated 10 years ago when they were fighting against legalized gambling. When you have normal incidents of the game in an era where everyone is betting legal dollars on the outcome of sporting events, you get suspicion. Were they lying in wait for the opportunity to flag Kadarius Toney for something they saw him doing all game long and we're going to wait for the right time to do it? That's bogus, that's BS, that's baloney, but but it's not crazy to think that somebody would look at that and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, hmm, see, something's going on here. So that's what I need to be concerned about. And, Joe, I don't know about you, but I don't think the game is about people getting properly aligned before the snap. And it shouldn't have to be a guessing game. It shouldn't have to be something where we think we know where the line is based upon where the sticks are. They're still using two sticks and 30 feet of chain link to determine who's where and where they need to go. And I made the argument yesterday, and this is why I've been saying for years now, tear down the officiating function and reimagine it in light of all available technologies, including including the laser first down line that has been out there for over a decade now that the NFL continues to ignore. There's no doubt where the line to gain is. You get a line on the field that everyone can see, both at home and in the stadium. You know exactly where you need to go. And the other side of that coin, how about a line? This is the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Why does it have to be a mystery? Put the line of scrimmage out there, and everybody knows where they need to line up. You don't have to look around. You don't have to process all that. You don't have to guess wrong. You don't have to step on the wrong side of the line and find out. There's ways to make it easier technologically. And I will submit to you, the game isn't about this chess match. It's not even a chess match. It's not even a checkers game. It's stupid. Like, it's not about, oh, did you line up the right way? It's about what happens after the snap. So I think the NFL is too cheap and at a certain level too lazy to fully embrace this project, but they should do it. And if you had that line across the middle of the field, that yeah. issue wouldn't have come up on Sunday and it'll never come up. But, but they're just not going to do it. And one of the reasons I think they won't do it, Joe, I think they kind of like at some level the fact that that issue has dominated the sports conversation all week. Yeah, but I don't see how that's good for the game. Like, I, I don't see how oh, it's this... not. It's not. But it's good for the NFL because we're talking about the NFL all week. Yeah. Well, the other side of this is the one that popped up, I think, to start the season. And it's how deep the tackles were lining up so far off. And and everybody's going, my God, the guy looks like he's about two and a half yards off the line of scrimmage there. How far can you go? And he's trying they to. They still are. They yeah. still are doing it. That's what made the Tony thing look more glaring. The, the, the tackles are still in the backfield. And the tackles leave early. If you haven't noticed yes. that, they leave early to, to, to better block for the quarterbacks. And sometimes they call it, but most of the time they don't. The, uh, the other thing is this hip drop tackle, and of course it hits home here with what happened to Tyree Kill. Honestly, I thought Tyree Kill, when they slowed that down, I thought when he was over there, I went, oh my God, he could be out for the year now, the way it went on the weight on the back of that leg. Um, I, it sounds great. I just don't know how you can completely stop guys from tackling that way. I, I don't... Mike, we're already making it tough on these guys defensively. I just don't know when you're trying to grab a guy and catch a freaking guy that's really fast, you're grabbing him wherever you can, Mike. Well, but look, 
how did Tyree Hill get injured on Monday night? It was a combination hip drop and horse collar. Right. And they identified the horse collar tackle 20 years ago, and that was more of a deliberate effort by one guy, Roy Williams, who was grabbing guys. He perfected this art of grabbing guys by the back of the shirt and pulling them down. And the problem was you're pulling their body weight down onto their legs and you're causing potentially serious injury, most notably Terrell Owens' broken ankle in 2004, Mm. the one he came back from to play in the Super Bowl. And he would have been the MVP if the Eagles had beaten the Patriots that year, one of the most heroic performances ever in league history. But – They've identified this, and I give the league credit because I say all the time they're reactive, not proactive. And in this case, what they did was they spotted this technique. It's a new technique, fairly new, where what happens is, and the people who are opposed to it would say, well, I don't even know what a hip drop tackle is. Well, it's not that difficult. And when you see it a couple times, you begin to spot it. What happens is the defensive player grabs typically around the hips, around the waist, the offensive player with the ball. There's a twisting, a rotation, a turning that happens right after the grab, and then the defensive player just falls down. You fall down, and you bring them with you. If you don't fall down, they're going to potentially Mark Bavaro you down the field. So you just fall down. The problem is your weight lands on their lower extremities, and you sprain ankles or break ankles or cause other serious injuries, and they've spotted that, and they're determined. Joe, it's no mistake, and it's no accident that they came out full force at this press conference earlier in the week about the hip drop tackle. I mean, their audience is a combination of the owners who will be voting on this in March and the rest of us to get us to understand and to agree with the importance of getting this technique out of the game. And there's still, I see it on social media, not that social media is a real place, but you hear the reactions, former players, current players, media, how are they going to play defense? How are they going to tackle guys? Well, there's other techniques, like there's that rugby tackle where you grab the ankles and get them down that way. This is something that that has a specific risk because you're putting body weight on top of lower extremities. It's a fairly new technique, and they are looking to get it out of the game, and they're determined to get it out of the game. And when the commissioner comes out and says it needs to go, I guarantee you, if he has to twist arms behind the scenes, he will. He wanted Thursday night flexing. He twisted enough arms until he got it. If he wants hip drop tackle out of the game, he will twist enough arms to get 24 votes from the owners to get rid of it. He's been good at that. There's no question. And he knows exactly which owners to go to. I totally agree with you on that one. So Cam Newton, the podcast, we talked about this earlier in the week about the game manager. And it's funny, so a lot of people here are blasting Cam Newton. A lot of people don't like Cam Newton. I'm like, listen, he he was an MVP, had had some good years, and but the game manager and the system quarterback and then naming Purdy and Dak and Tua, it's always an interesting one because it, it's about the system you're in, which nobody should have to apologize if they happen to be in a system that's, that's quarterback-friendly or also has a lot of talent around it like we see down here. I, I just don't know if it's fair – to say, well, these guys will never be in my mind. They're just game managers because they still do make a lot of really good throws. How do you look at it, Mike? Well, Joe, I think the first step here is to make sure that everyone agrees on what these terms mean. Game manager, in my mind, is guy that you count on to not screw it up, that you have enough around him that, hey, quarterback, if you just don't screw it up, we'll be okay. But if you screw it up, we have a problem. That's a pejorative, that's an insult, and to attach that to Tua, Dak, and Purdy is not fair. Now, he also threw Jared Goff in there, and I'd say of the four, Goff is the closest to a 
just don't screw it up guy. I would say that he's the closest of the four to a game manager. System quarterback, in my mind, is not an insult. System quarterback means there's a system that works, and this guy runs it. And look at all the different frogs that Kyle Shanahan has kissed since he became the head coach of the 49ers in 2017 to try to find a system quarterback who will run his system to perfection. He found one in Brock Purdy, and Purdy runs it to perfection, just like Joe Montana ran the Bill Walsh West Coast Coast, offense to perfection. You're a system quarterback, and you're running the system perfectly well. I think what Newton is trying to separate is the guys who will run a system well from that very small handful of guys who, when the play that gets called goes sideways, can make chicken salad with their legs, with their arm, with their brains, with their instincts. And that group consists of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and that's it right now. <laughs> Maybe a little Russ Wilson. The, yeah. the resurrected Russ Wilson can do it too. And Cam Newton, I think, would put himself in that category. But, but Joe, we gotta, I mean, we got to be realistic. This is coming from the perspective of a guy who is understandably bitter because there have been more than 50 starting quarterbacks in the NFL this year, and his phone hasn't, yes. hasn't rang a single time. Yeah. I, yeah, and by the way, I said all those same things. I, I, the West Coast, Joe Montana, to here's the guy that's pissed off that he's not getting any calls because nobody thinks – He's going to accept the backup role real well and his style of play. So finally, I, I leave you with this one. I, I don't usually go around saying, Coach, Brandon Staley's done. I mean, last night, that that was it, right? If there's a slam dunk on a guy that's going to get fired, what his team and the way they played last night, he, he's done, isn't he? Is that is that it, Mike? I think so, Joe. Look, we saw two teams with an identical record, arch rivals, the Holy Roller teams. Two teams that were joined arm in arm to try to try to build a stadium together ten years ago, and and the Raiders got jilted, and the Chargers jumped in bed with the Rams. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons for these two teams to have acrimony and hard feelings and play hard when they face each other. And the Chargers just didn't seem to care. They just didn't seem to care. When you watch various plays in that game, you see that there are guys that weren't really trying, and that's an indictment of the head coach. If you quit on your team, if you quit on each other, if you quit on your coach. The coach is the one who's got to press the button to get the team in the right state of mind to go out there and play each and every game. And I think too many guys on the Chargers were thinking, our quarterback's gone, the season's over, let me just get through these last four weeks healthy. I really don't care about this game. I just want this season to be over with. And the coach's job is to counter that mindset and eradicate it. The question for me now is, does Dean Spanos fire him today or does he let him finish the season? And if he doesn't fire him after the season, then there's no hope for the Chargers. I thought they were going to fire him after the playoff collapse against the Jaguars. I thought he was done then. I was stunned that he was back for last year because I think guys like Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh would have been very interested. You've got a huge magnet in Justin Herbert for a good coach to come in, but now you've complicated things because whoever takes that job is going to have to clean up the mess that was made last night because I guarantee you, Joe, there's going to be guys in that locker room who are given the side eye to the guys who quit. And those guys who quit and the guys who didn't are going to be on the team next yeah. year. The new coach is going to have to undo that damage. Well, you, you brought up a great point. Like the tennis, the uh, Tennessee effort, the way they played the Jets in the second half. Uh, there are a lot of teams that put it out there, man, and, and could easily started looking closer to that vacation time at the end of uh, this regular season, and they didn't. Hey, Mike, thank you, man. Really appreciate you coming on this morning. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you, buddy. Baseball is back. 
And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.